Welcome to Unexpected Points. I'm your host, Kevin Cole. And, you know, the mission of this podcast is to talk to some of the best, some of the brightest, the smartest people out there. We're going to talk wide receivers today. And unfortunately, I already had Rich Rebar on the show last week, so we already got the best and the brightest. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we have JJ Zacharyson here this week to, to, to fill the void. So thank you, JJ, for joining me. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that I'm the, the best <laughs> and the brightest. And if you had Rich on last week, then I'm definitely not. But I appreciate you having me on. Well, I'll say that you were the first guest that I had uh, going right into the fantasy season. And people people were loving. People were loving the... Uh, the, the the fifteen players that that, that you that you put put out there, and uh, I think people are going to love this episode too because the wide receiver class it's definitely more compelling than the running back yeah. class this year. So if we're talking about rookie dynasty drafts, obviously you're weighing those against each other. What you're going to end up doing? Normally, I would think that I like to skew a little bit more towards running backs than some people do because of an early payoff that you can get from some of these guys. But this year, I'm not so certain about it. Well, how, how are you approaching maybe that dynamic of it before we get into the individual wide receivers? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a big three at running back, uh, you know, with, with Najee, Etienne, and, and uh, Javante. Um, and, and I think that you can make the argument that those three would be the top three outside of Jamar Chase. So my rankings are Najee, Etienne, then Jamar Chase, and then Javante Williams. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still am leaning running back with those guys, but I don't think there's anyone even remotely close at four RB four than compared to where you get to like with wide receiver eight ish. Right. So, right. uh, to me, it's just going to be a very, very wide receiver heavy, you know, non super flex, uh, especially rookie drafts. If it's a super flex rookie draft, um, you know, it's actually a great year for that, obviously, because it's a great quarterback class, a lot of dual threat guys. So you're able to, to you're going to be able to get very good wide receivers in like the early second round of your rookie draft because of that. But, you know, in a standard, you know, one quarterback league to me, it's the big three running backs. I think Jamar Chase is right there with them. Um, and then there's just going to be a bunch of wide receivers drafted. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be a ton this year. Um, I don't know if it's particularly unique, but I do think there's this thing at least has jumped out to me with slot wide receivers, some of these smaller guys yep. where you don't really know whether they can play outside or not. Yep. And I think that's some of the question. Maybe it's a little bit more of a, of a real football issue. But as we get into these guys, um, you know, I was doing some research there and like replaceability and things like that. So I guess when we're talking about fantasy drafts versus real NFL draft, I think that could be a question with some of these slot guys. They may move them further down for the real NFL draft. Is there anything else you would look at and say, like, how would your board differ looking at these wide receivers, any thematic things versus, uh, you know, fantasy versus what these teams should should be looking at? I think the slot dynamic is something that's incredibly important uh, because we know that slot receivers are generally a little bit more replaceable in the NFL. Um, and, and we know that it's a lot easier for, you know, a, a player playing on the outside can generally play in the slot. A player playing in the slot can't generally play on the outside. So that caps their upside in some way. I think we saw that a lot with Juju Smith Schuster during the free agency period. You know, we can say, you know, it was a, a rough season for wide receiver off season for wide receivers in general for these free agents. And we can say that it was because of, uh, you know, the, the cap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think what happened with Juju in particular is that teams know that he's a slot guy. Teams know that, you know, ever since Antonio Brown left, you know, he hasn't been as efficient and as effective. And he's been a, a you know, in the Steelers usage, uh, you know, his slot usage has just gone up year over year in the NFL because that's what he is. And then teams know that that's, you know, generally a little bit more replaceable. Now, the interesting dynamic with that 
uh, is someone, you know, when you get into like either of the Moors, Elijah or Rondell Moore, for instance, where you would hope that if a team is going to use a first round pick on one of these guys, they are going to utilize them in more ways than just being a slot guy, right? Because they should generally know that being a slot guy is replaceable. So why would you want to spend a first round pick on that? But then we know that front offices aren't rational and they're drafting running backs in the first round anyway. So, so maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I think that's the biggest thing that I've run into too, is that uh, while I'm looking at this, you know, when I first ran these guys through my model to start the off season, cause I usually start prospecting in like January, I was like, wow, this is actually a pretty good wide receiver class because on paper and in my model, I don't separate them based on, uh, you know, their archetype and, and the, you know, the specific wide receiver position that they play on paper, you know, you have guys like Jalen Darden and these guys who have insane production and they, they check all the right boxes. You know, some of these guys are early declares, you know, the age adjusted production is great. And then you look at their size and you say to yourself, are they really going to be able to win on the outside at the NFL level? And there's just, I understand that we're seeing more and more smaller wide receivers sort of enter the league, but you still have to ask those questions. Those red flags are still there. And to me, that's been one of the more challenging things to tackle with this wide receiver class. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we're getting into that Jalen Darden sort of range, whether it's you know Dwayne Estridge, these guys who are a little bit later, maybe Shai Smith, like I'm a little bit less concerned about that because you're not really spending that much on them. Yeah. Right. right. But sure. But when it yeah. comes to the Moors, yeah, that's, that's definitely an issue. And you know, with the NFL, I would lean on the side that like a little bit of hubris and overconfidence in some of these evaluators will say, they'll say, you know what? I can turn this guy into X because I know what sort of trace there. I mean, we see this a little bit. I'm going to throw some of my own PFF guys under the bus here because the, the PFF comp for Rondale Moore that they had was Steve Smith. And it's like, do we have any clue that he can do what Steve right. Smith does? Right. You know, who knows? Like Rondale Moore has basically like a running back, a dot right. um, when, when he's playing there. So like to be able to project something like that, I don't know about. And I would just quickly looking at some of the slot stuff. So we talk about replaceability, right? So if you want to have the, these guys are Uber athletes, but then you look at the, I, I looked at uh, guys who had the most yardage out of the slot the last three years in the NFL, your top guys, Tyler Boyd, Cole Beasley, uh, Cooper Cup, Juju Smith-Schuster, who we mentioned now, Tyreek Hill and Tyler Lockett are up there. So those guys are pretty good athletes, but they can, they can move around a bit. And then you go down further, Jarvis Landry, Julian Edelman, you got those types of names on there. You go even further, you have guys who miss time, who also have been pretty good in the slot, like Adam Humphreys. Um, replaceable, right? So that's the thing, yeah. is you can put somebody into that slot and get that type of yardage. So if you're forced to put uh, your first round pick there, it's kind of limiting a little bit what you're doing around it. So I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic just to see where these guys end up falling. Um, and maybe from a fantasy perspective, I mean, you could probably get, especially in PPR, to a, a very high-end outcome on some of these slot-wide receivers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, maybe if you're leaning between a, a Terrace Marshall or someone like that, you might say, maybe he could be like the true wide receiver one of the class a little bit more than Elijah Moore could be. Yeah, well, especially pre-draft, right? I mean, post-draft, yeah. we at least know where a Rondell Moore and Elijah Moore are going to play. And if, if one of those guys goes to like Kansas City or something, then you're going to feel more confident in what those guys are and what they're going to be able to provide. But, you know, pre-draft, I, I think it's just a safer route to go with someone who you know, you know, is going to be playing on the outside more um, and who isn't going to be as team team dependent. I mean, if you look at at slot receivers who have been successful in fantasy football, they're generally going to be in high powered offenses, you know, in these high volume offenses that, you know, scheme them the right way. Uh, Whereas guys who play on the outside, they're not as dependent on that. Uh, It's not, it's not as important because they're winning 
by talent, right? They're, they're, they're winning because they're good as opposed to just being at the right area of the field where you're going to be able to face easier defenders. So um, that to me is what's very difficult is that after the draft is over, I do think that we're going to see uh, we'll see a lot of rankings change um, with, with guys like more, both of the Moors, for instance, like where I have the Moors ranked right now is probably lower than I will have them post draft. I'm just trying to play it safe because I don't know, you know, how their teams are going to utilize them at the next level. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a whole lot of sense. So let's, the conceit will be here. We'll go back and forth picking receivers as if this was, let's say a, a dynasty rookie draft, but there's only wide receivers that we're choosing from. Um, I mean, I, do you have any preference for whether you want to go first or second? First I have no preference here. No, you, uh, no, I didn't know if you had like you. a curveball. Do you have any curveballs up at the top, all the way at the top, or is it I mean, I kind, I kind of do. I mean, I, I think that there's there are a lot of guys that I can make the case for uh, in the in the two to like seven spot. So I have yeah. like you know I, I didn't just go chalk with like the Alabama wide receivers at two and three. If that if that makes so you how about you start it off? You can go you yeah. can go with yeah. With yeah. The, I think, the I think two is two is a lot more interesting than one. So yes. So I mean, I I will take of course Jamar Chase here and. It's interesting about Chase because I think we're maybe getting a backlash is the wrong is the wrong term for it. But we're getting something where I think we're just we're getting a little too complacent on how good he is. I feel like when I'm seeing some people critique him, I remember there was a statement. I think it was like one of these anonymous scout statements that said Jamar Chase was the best prospect since Julio Jones. And there were people who were who were like, oh, he's not on Julio Jones level. Blah, blah. I mean, is he not the best prospect? <laughs> he is like the best yeah. prospect. That's Julio Jones, right? Like, why why are people incredulous of that of that statement? I, it doesn't it seems very strange to me that you would be incredulous of a statement like that because that seems like a very reasonable thing to say. It does seem reasonable. I mean, it, to put it simply, with Jamar Chase, it's like you you have a guy who, as a sophomore, outperformed a junior Justin Jefferson who went on in the NFL and had the most productive rookie season of all time at wide receiver. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like it's what more head and shoulders above the, the, yeah. the, the, that strong, that strong 2020 class. Yeah. yeah. And you know, a lot of people, you know, I've gotten backlash for this take too. And like the, the way that I view this kind of stuff, but we get more. So, so, you know, entering last year's draft, you know, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs go ahead of Justin Jefferson in the draft. Um, but we have more information now we've seen Justin Jefferson, be an incredible wide receiver. I think, honestly, I think part of the reason why Justin Jefferson wasn't highly sought after or as highly sought after as he probably should have been is because of that slot role that he played uh, during that Joe Burrow season, which we then saw Terrace Marshall play this past year, where people didn't know that he could win outside. You know, they were they were cautious if, if whether or not he could, you know, similar to what we were talking about, you know, just a second ago. Um, but if you looked at his season before that, his sophomore season, he was winning on the outside. It's just that he played that slot role then during his junior season. Um, but we have more information now. We know that Justin Jefferson is a really, really good wide receiver. And we know now that Henry Ruggs likely is not. And that Jerry Judy is sort of this borderline. We don't know what he is yet. Right. And so I'm utilizing that information when I'm looking at these prospects. And so I'm going to look at Justin Jefferson and say he balled out. And guess what? The guy who was a a college season below him, uh, who's now coming out this year, he outproduced that player. So of course, I'm going to look at him more favorably than I would someone like Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, who played with lesser competition. So, you know, that's, that's the thing with this LSU offense is that, um, you know, we'll talk about Terrace Marshall in a second, but it's like, you know, Terrace Marshall arguably played with wide receivers that are more talented and better than what he's going to play with in the NFL. I mean, I would say that that's probably the case period, right? Like yeah. that's it. And so, you know, I, I think that we, we can't 
I think we need to utilize that new information more than other people are. It's almost like, no, we only have the evaluations of these players once they get to the NFL. And then when they're in the NFL, we can't backtrack and look back at how good they actually are, but that's more seasons and more data for us to look at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to update. I mean, your prior is important, right? Going into the NFL mm-hmm. draft, all that, all that thing is important, but you have to recognize how much of a coin flip it is between these guys, who's better or who's worse. And especially when you had a, a, a bunching, like you did in 2020 of all the different receivers and one guy performs a lot better. He jumps straight up to the top. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that, what we know today about Chase, maybe we're not going to necessarily place him as being like the best receiver who's come out over the last four years, but he's the last, he's the best prospect, let's say, who's come out right. in a while there. And then you combine that with Jefferson, who has been the best receiver who has actually come out, and that's that's a pretty lethal combo. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I think with with Chase too. I was just looking at this in some some comp pieces here. I mean, he's not the the, the quibble with him would be he is you know a little bit over six feet tall. He weighed in at two oh one. If you look at his his tape, we're gonna do some tape here. Warning, trigger warning. We're doing some we're doing some, t- some some tape here. Uh, he he won a lot. Like it maybe maybe feel worse about Burrow honestly while watching some of his tape because yeah. he, this dude was just like winning jump balls left and right and just muscling dudes. So maybe you could say there's some concern about his ability to do that at that sort of size. But it's you know everything is sufficient for me. I think it'd be overlooking the importance of those type of attributes. And I also think, yeah, he's doing all this as a true sophomore. And when I was comparing him to some other comps that I had for him, like uh, Odell Beckham Jr. or Justin Blackman is the comp in our, our PFF yeah, guide. I mean, in the too. age equivalent season for Justin Blackman, which was his redshirt freshman season, he had like 200 yards receiving. Yep. You know, um, uh, Odell Beckham had 700 yards. Now he had a big share because that offense was so much down, but it's just like not even close to being on the same level as what as what Chase did. Um, and one other thing about market shares, which I look at a lot for here, in an offense like that, that's so productive, and you mentioned Justin Jefferson being there and Marshall being there, it's just really hard to get one of these bonkers market share numbers. You know, yeah. you, you can't, you, you have to get like 2,500 yards receiving or something to have one of these insane market share numbers. So his market share is even more impressive than what it looks like if you're looking at it vis-a-vis someone else who's in a more of a normal offense. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I always look at with teammate score, however you want to look at teammates. I, I just have like a random score in my model, but with, with teammate score, uh, it, it's more about the floor than the ceiling, right? It, yeah. It's more about the fact that like, like Henry Ruggs, for instance, coming out last year, uh, he didn't have a floor. His stat score in my model was horrific because he didn't produce in college. Right. And so that's different than, you know, someone like, like even Jalen Waddles better than Henry Ruggs from a, from a statistical standpoint. Um, but you know, we know that targets are earned. We know that players who are good are getting targets. And so if they're good enough and they should at least see some sort of floor, it's the, the ceiling where if you have good, you know, proven teammates, or at least at the time of analysis, guys who we think are good, you can at least make that excuse to some degree, but it's the excuse when it, when it goes to the, uh, you know, to the Henry Ruggs level where it's, Oh no, he had great teammates. Well, no, he didn't produce at all. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like, Oh, he didn't have this like stealing production. It was that the floor wasn't there either. Yeah, yeah, and the and the the competition angle of looking at the cornerbacks, which is something that probably boosts up Chase. I'm a little bit less like worried Same. about that yeah. that sort of stuff. I mean, who knows? These guys could all bust in the NFL. All these cornerbacks too, and it's really the competition within your other wide receivers that's more important yep. to the dynamic for how these guys put put up production. So, so that's the that's the um, default choice here. Uh, I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll see the floor to you now for the second pick. So I'm I have Rashad Bateman as my wide receiver too. Um, all right, that's spicy. 
Yeah. So, so there was definitely, there's definitely some concern about the fact that we all thought that he was like 210 and he weighed in at 190. <laughs> like that's, a, that's not just like a, Oh, he lost like well, he five also, or 10 He was pounds. also six foot when he was six two. So he yeah. was just like, yeah, he's just like a smaller like person than we thought. Yeah. Shrunk the kid sort of situation yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he did have that COVID issue, um, you know, in the fall and, and he did say that that definitely gave him some, some problems and, and that could be part of the reason why he didn't weigh as much. But the, the one thing I will say, you know, what, would be worse is if you have a weigh-in that and and I don't have athleticism metrics really in my models that much I have some thresholds for running backs to hit uh, mostly from a speed score standpoint and then at wide receiver I don't really I just have height and weight so there's no athletic uh, athleticism testing at all on my wide receiver models all production based and you know the teammate score stuff etc but with Rashad Bateman you know I, I look at this stuff subjectively like my model is not how my rankings are necessarily um, but with Rashad Bateman, the good thing about him is that he did, he was smaller in frame, but he also ran faster than I thought a lot of people thought that he would. So he, he tested better for his size, which is, you know, good to see that it wasn't necessarily like, oh, he's just small. Oh, he's also unathletic, um, which we've seen at times, you know, like a Tylen Wallace, for instance, who's explosive, didn't test very well. So that's a little bit of a concern. Um, but with Rashad Bateman, he tested well. So I'm not as concerned about his smaller size. And there's still good comps, I think, overall for Bateman, despite that size. I mean, I, I think his top comp is like a Keenan Allen, you know, obviously a, a higher end comp, but, um, you know, he's a great route runner. And then, you know, across the board, again, I go back to, there's a lot of, size and uh, the role that these wide receivers are going to play type question marks with these wide receivers from like two to seven. And I don't think that that those question marks are as strong for Rashad Bateman as they are for some of these other wide receivers. So from a pre-draft standpoint, that's why I have Matt wide receiver too. But I think that if some of these other players fall into the right spot, objectively the right spot, you know, if they go to a Kansas city or something like that, then that's when we can see them jump someone like Bateman. But right now I just think he's a very safe prospect. Look at his breakout age. One of the main metrics I look at in my model is, is yards per team pass attempt. He's strong there. Um, and then I use that in conjunction with receptions per game. He's strong there. I mean, he, he's great. He's a great prospect. Um, so that's why I have my wide receiver too. Okay, so the the big question is going to be, uh, or or if you, if, if someone's going to push back against this, it's you're going to say draft position, right? So so you're, you're you're looking at these guys here. I mean, I'll pull up the most recent numbers. Um, if anyone's been, I used the grinding the mocks. If anyone's seen this, I use this a lot in my analysis where it is compiling a bunch of different mock drafts, thousands of them at this point, believe it or not to come up with um, an expected draft position for these guys. So as of now, and some of this data goes back a little bit far, so I think there are directional things going on here. But as of now, it has Jamar Chase ranked at number four. I think that's a little aggressive. I don't think he's going to go in the the top four. But Mm -hmm. uh, Devontae Smith at eight, Jalen Waddell 10, Kadarius Toney 24, and there's just there's a bit of a little flip up here, um, a directional flip up. If you look at Terrace Marshall, is really switched spots here with Rashad Bateman. He's on the rise. Bateman is I don't say he's falling, but I think he may be uh, flatlining a little bit here. So Marshall 31 and then Bateman 34. So being that he is number six here on this list, does that concern you? 
Um, I mean, to a degree. Yeah. I mean, I'll input draft capital into my model because the way that I built the model is I, I wanted to be better than draft capital. Right. So I used draft right. capital as the baseline and then I, you know, inputted these, these different uh, categories and then, you know, I just saw what, how that changed and, and the difference there. Um, so draft capital is part of this. So if I plug that in, I'm sure that, you know, Devonte Smith after the fact is going to look better. I think he might even look better than Bateman right now in the model. Yeah, yeah. There, there are some objective, some, some more subjective questions that I have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's some concern. The one thing that I would say is that, you know, if, if one of these wide receivers, granted, it's not Baltimore, but if one of these wide receivers goes later in the first, you're falling to a better, stronger situation at quarterback more than likely. Um, and that to me is still somewhat of a plus. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that it, it obviously just depends at the end of the day, like where they're landing, uh, what that spot actually is. If Rashad Bateman falls out of the first, then I'm going to be more concerned. Yes. But if he's still like a late first round pick, I'm going to be less concerned. I think that you could still make that argument that he's the wide receiver too. Um, and that's with the assumption, you know, a lot of these rankings that I did, it's with the assumption that, uh, you know, Devontae Smith's going to be a top 10 pick and that Jalen Waddle will be like a top 15 pick. Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with all of that. Now, I think when we talk about the slot again, um, and especially when we talk about Jefferson, what happened with him, we'll see, we'll see this with Marshall a bit. I notice a lot with these top prospects, and I think this is when measurables become somewhat important and looking beyond what happened the last season becomes important here. Because I saw this with a ton of guys, and Bateman's one of those guys where, um, especially as some more senior uh, receivers like in the case here, Tyler Johnson, who really fits in the slot left out that a lot of college offenses are just putting their best guy in the slot. Yeah. Even if, even if he wouldn't traditionally be that type of receiver, because they don't necessarily have three different great receivers to throw out there and want to parcel out those roles. They do a lot of, I don't know about Minnesota specifically, but a lot of, a lot of teams are doing like a lot of quick game, a lot of RPOs, a lot of other yeah. stuff where you want to use the guys at the slot. So if you look at his slot, uh, percentage, you know, he's productive as a, as a freshman. So it was only 7% as a freshman. Plus I think if these guys don't know what they're doing. They just like throw them on the outside and they just, like, <laughs> you just like a, a, someone has to guard you out there. And that's, and that's your role when, for these college receivers. So it's like 7% and then he, he was at 13% as a sophomore. And then he was up above 60% last year. And I think you'll see this with a lot of different guys, but again, is a little bit different than the Moors. You know, I wouldn't use Justin Jefferson's success to say Elijah Moore can play outside. You have to kind of look at these other factors too. Yeah. And at least he has experience playing on the outside, right? Like right. So, again, some of the Moors just like, don't like the yeah. R- Rondell and Elijah really don't have that experience. Whereas at least you can latch onto that with some of these other prospects. Yeah. And then the other dynamic is a lot of these guys had their depth of target go way down um, when they, when they really went into these roles, but yet their per route run, uh, efficiency was roughly the same. And, and mm-hmm. you know, so they're, so they're getting a lot more targets. They're able to feed them more often. They're just as efficient, but they're kind of playing a different role. And I think all of that versatility is is going to be fine at, at the next level. So no no concerns there. Okay, so this, this, this is a tough one for me because I got, okay, I got a little suckered last year uh, falling for, um, f- falling for what it should have been it should have been uh, going with Justin Jefferson, right? So I was like, but then I started doing a little tape again. So I was doing a little, a little too, too much, too much tape watching here, and then I started looking at Rager, and I, I started to like him a lot. Now I don't think the same thing is here with Waddle and with with Devonte Smith, um, but I don't know. Like the more I'm hearing about things, the more I'm thinking I'm going to go Waddle here, despite the fact that. Like, I probably should have, like, a system built in that would prevent a human being from making these types of decisions, if that makes sense. But the, what I will say about him is 
you mentioned that the the rugs thing, and I think people can bring that up. Um, I think it's really not the same, in my opinion, for a few different reasons. I mean, he was pretty productive as as a freshman, and I think sometimes when it comes to receiving competition, when we mentioned LSU, right? So you have the, the the two really great receivers now. But even if you're playing against two really great receivers, you still get on the field a lot because mm-hmm. there are three wide receivers set. So generally, I think that sometimes that can be overplayed that hand. But when you're literally playing on a team that has four different first round receivers, things become a little bit a little bit difficult in, in that circumstance. And like. Ruggs suffered much more, in my opinion, because of that. He was much worse on, on, on these metrics. If you look at Waddle, especially what he was doing this year, yeah. uh, going the first few games before, the first handful of games before he got injured, he was averaging you know over 100 yards a game, pretty elite numbers for what he was doing. He was, I think it was the SEC freshman of the year, so he was performing pretty well initially. He is an early declare, whereas uh, Devontae Smith is not, despite the fact that they're both the same age. So I think the age factor mitigates that a little bit, but there does seem to be a big s- signal, and other models have found this. I know Football Outsiders has a model where yep. they do on the early declare. And, and, and what it's telling you is, and I think this will be an interesting question when we get to the Devontae Smith thing. I hate it when people just dis- out of hand discount these sorts of things about, well, maybe he likes college. Same. Maybe he wanted to go back. Yes. It's like, I have, so <laughs> ma- I have so many takes on this topic. Yes, I agree. It, it, it's just like it's telling you something that Henry Ruggs leaves and becomes the first wide receiver drafted and Devontae Smith goes back to school. Like he wasn't going to get drafted before, you know, in, in that round. Maybe people say, oh, he had a second round grade. Second round grade's not great. Okay. Right. Like it's not a top 10 grade that, he, that, he, that we're talking about potentially here. So, like I said, second round grade for a player who was more productive than the first player drafted and was more productive even than than um than the, than the second player drafted you have to start to wonder some of these things going on here so that would be the red flag and then you know we have we can get more into if you're going to take smith next the the weight issues the other things there and how to frame it and again how annoyed i am by by the people trying to discount all of these things um, as if you should just throw them all out the window. I'm going to, I'm going to shock you with the next pick, by the way, but I'll talk about Jalen okay. Waddle first. So we will, okay. we, we maybe, maybe we should just talk about Waddle and Smith combined here just okay. because right, um, it might be easier to do that. So with, with Waddle, um, the one thing that scares me is what happened during a sophomore year. And I feel like right. no one is answering that question well enough. Um, and, and I think that's a, a concern because he didn't play as many snaps as he did, uh, you know, the, the, the season before. Um, and obviously the competition was there. Yeah. But you still have to ask that question because that would have been, you know, if he had a solid sophomore season, he would probably be the consensus wide receiver too in this class because we wouldn't have to latch onto this small sample size and what he did uh, this past season. Right. Um, but yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that you could put Waddle here. I have Smith ahead of Waddle. But it's it's close. I mean, it's a coin flip for me um, because you can you really can just look at red flags for both guys and start start pinpointing things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I I do think you know one of the reasons one of the main reasons I wanted to put Waddle ahead of Smith was what you you mentioned with the early declare stuff. My model has a lot of signal with that, um, and and if you look back um, since 2006, which is where the data goes back to with my model, uh, there's been 53 wide receivers drafted in the first round. 13 of those 53 were not early declares. And then of those 13, only five of them were able to put one 1,000 yard season together and only one of them. So one of the 13 early, non-early declares had multiple 1,000 yard seasons. That was Dwayne Bowe. Um, so you're, you're looking at a really, really bad hit rate 
um, with these guys who weren't early declares. Now, I think that that Brandon Ayuk is probably going to buck that trend, uh, but he also was a Juco transfer. So he didn't go through that, that usual uh, process, you know, playing all four years at the same college. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, you know, Devonte Smith to me, uh, there, there's that, that red flag there for him. Um, and then, you know, obviously the BMI stuff is, is still a thing. Uh, do I, do I think I'm, I'm certainly not someone who thinks that BMI is everything and that you avoid Devonte Smith because of his BMI. Um, but there's still some signal in my model with, with BMI. It still matters to some degree. It matters a lot more at running back I've found than it, than it does at wide receiver. Um, but you know, the, the bottom line is, again, I go back to, we're looking at this pre-draft. Post-draft, we're going to have more information. We're going to feel better about landing spot, et cetera. Um, and, and where we are sitting right now with Devontae Smith is that we don't have any comp for Devontae Smith, any reasonable real comp for Devontae Smith. Because you know, if you go to like a Calvin Ridley, who I think is a reasonable comp for him, Calvin Ridley still had like three points in BMI more than Devontae Smith does. And it's just, it's a really, really tough, evaluation as a result of that. And I think it's okay to sit back again, pre-draft before we know these landing spots, throw up our arms and say, I don't really know. I don't, I don't exactly know how Devonte Smith is going to translate because we've never seen anything like this. And you and I both like to evaluate by looking at history and what we've seen from, from wide receivers in the past to help predict the future. Um, and in a situation like Devonte Smith, we just haven't seen this, this, this size and production combination. I lean more towards production. Of course, that's what matters most to me at the wide receiver position. And there's a lot of, of good things about Smith's profile, but the non early declare stuff and the BMI they're, they're both at least something, especially the, the non early declare thing. Yeah, they, they, that's okay. That, I mean, I mentioned that first, cause obviously I think that's, that's a pretty huge deal. Um, just, just to go back really quickly for Waddle and the, the sophomore season thing. So, yeah. Okay, so the 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 stat that I find a lot of a lot of signal with, although it takes context, is looking at their career market share. Very often, that has a bigger signal than even at their final season. Whereas with running backs, yeah, you don't really care what they're <laughs> what they yeah. were doing in yeah. the past. And okay, so my explanation for that, um, if I'm going to like shoehorn a narrative into why that's the case, is because at running back. So much is a coaching decision exactly. whether or not whether or not someone's getting the ball or not. Whereas a wide receiver, when you have three of these guys out on the field almost all the time, if you're a good wide receiver, you should be on the field, and then you're out there and you have a chance to prove yourself to sp- no matter what the coach is trying to do. Yeah, they can scheme up plays for different directions. That's why it's important to look at screens. It's important to look at things like that where guys are getting schemed yards. But you at least have a chance. Now, I would say this Alabama situation, because of the fact that they have four different talented wide receivers introduces the potential for a coach to make a bad decision, I I guess, in in, in lack of a better word. In particular, make a bad decision in um, favor of players with less eligibility left at that point. So if you look at those four guys, Waddle had the least, had the most, um, well, yeah, had the most eligibility left of them. So maybe there's there's something going 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 on in that area. Two of them are going out and going to be entering the NFL draft that year. Uh, Smith, Devontae Smith, could have entered the NFL draft that year. So I'm not saying teams would would really go into this sort of thing, but I'm just thinking about potential decisions in, in coin flip situations. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, I think that's why, you know, this is kind of on topic, but I, I think that's why draft capital matters more at running back than it does at wide receiver too. Because when, when yeah. a team and a coach is part of that evaluation process, obviously, but when a team 
takes a running back in the first or second round, they're going to be more inclined to give that running back work. And since we're only going to see one running back on the field, usually uh, at once, then that running back is going to be gobbling up that volume and being more productive in fantasy football. Whereas to your point, you know, with wide receivers, you can have three of them on the field. If they're good and if they're talented and if they're getting open, they're going to get the ball, right? So wide receiver is much more talent driven. Therefore draft capital. Yes, it matters to some degree because good players are going to be drafted earlier generally, but it's not going to be as strong as what we see with running back because of that, that coaching element that's sort of embedded in what happens with, um, you know, running backs getting the ball and, and being fantasy relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think for, for, Smith is just going to be I'm really interested to see where he gets drafted because Mm -hmm. I don't know like I don't know if he if there is a player amongst the the big three let's call them of Waddle Smith and and Chase he would be the one I think mock drafters could be the most wrong about in a way because like I said because he didn't come out last year maybe there is something he's getting some signal from the NFL that they're not as high on him so if he slips into the middle the late first round as opposed to those other guys that's going to make a a big difference for me and how they're viewing him yeah all right so let's 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 say who would be then your number four I guess Ron here it would it would actually be my it would be my number three actually okay so so I have I have this guy above both Alabama wide receivers I don't I mean it's Terrace Marshall um okay and, and both and, okay oh yeah sorry i forgot that i have waddle in there already okay yeah, yeah yeah so so i had i have him uh over both alabama wide receivers so i i, I think so number one this is going to be the most like controversial thing that i probably say on the show with marshall being the wide receiver three in this class um and i i, I think though that a lot of people are using and i already alluded to this a lot of people are using the teammate factor as almost an excuse for like Waddle and Smith to a degree of, you know, looking at their production and stuff. It at least has been an excuse historically for, you know, whether it was rugs last year or what have you. Um, But no one's really using that same excuse for, for Terrace Marshall. And then if you look at his overall um, his, his overall career at LSU. So freshman year he has whatever it's freshman year and you can't expect much from a wide receiver uh, as a freshman sophomore year though. If you look at what he did up until that point, I think they were playing Vanderbilt. He missed the, uh, part of the fourth game uh, for LSU that season. That was the Joe Burrow season. Uh, he was producing really well and he broke his foot in that game and he missed like four or five weeks after that up until that point. Uh, he had more touchdowns than Justin Jefferson. I think he only had one fewer reception. Now, Jamar Chase missed one of the first four games, so his sample size isn't completely comparable. But, uh, you know, even even then, you know, Jamar Chase was obviously dominating, but he wasn't just like going so, so, he wasn't producing so, so much more than Terrace Marshall was up until that point. And so you can at least look at that and say, oh, he was, when he was healthy, he was competing with these two other insanely good prospects, Right. Um, and then, you know, he comes back later in the season, who knows how healthy he was, but regardless, that's at least a plus. And then you look at what he did this past year where they threw him in that, that Justin Jefferson slot role. Um, and he, he played seven of 10 games cause he opted out early in those seven games. He had great market share numbers. I mean, he had 28% of LSU's receptions. He had 33% of the team's yards. He had 59% of the team's touchdowns. Uh, Terrace Marshall, if he would have played the full 10 games, because I know a lot of, models in the fantasy football world looks at full season numbers. And so they see Terrace Marshall not looking great within their model necessarily because he only played, you know, his best season was 70% of the actual season. So season long numbers don't look as good, but in context, they look amazing. They look great. And then on top of that, you have, he is an early declare. He's one of the few wide receivers in this class who has uh, true alpha size. 
Um, and then, you know, there's been great, uh, there was a great stat from PFF, at least from the, the Twitter account that they had, they tweeted out. He had a perfect passer rating in college when his quarterbacks were throwing his way when he was lined up on the outside. So he played on the outside in college. He had a perfect quarterback rating when he was on the outside. And then he plays in the slot his final year. So he clearly can move all over the field. I, I, I don't know what I'm missing here. Like I, I, I look at Marshall and I know that there's fil- plenty of film concerns that he, uh, s- some people have said that he like looks lazy and that he's not, you know, as aggressive as he could be and all that, but he literally checks every single box analytically. And I'm kind of surprised that he's not getting as much love as I think he should throughout the fantasy football world. Yeah. I mean, I think LSU was God awful. Right. So that's, they were, that's yeah. part of it. Um, yeah, you know, uh, wide receiver wins, maybe, maybe coming into yeah. this equation, yeah. a little bit invent, inventing a whole new thing here. Um, <laughs> and okay. So here's, here's the one thing that I'll say, and I've been struggling with this a bit, especially because it's all over the place with different receivers and what's happened in this year. Now, Marshall isn't as bad as some others, but we're talking about a season where he had seven games played. So he was playing at this level, right? So he was playing at this first round wide receiver type of level. So he had like, let me look here. He had a 23% target share this year. Um, He jumped up to almost 2.9 yards per route run now. But if you look at the last two years, I mean, he was 14% target share six before that it was 1.6 yards per route run before. Now he had all the competitive issues we talked about. So, so those cleared up and his numbers went up, which makes sense, but we still only have these seven games to base upon because we don't have prior seasons and how do you look at that versus the equivalent numbers? If you were looking at someone who played 12, 13 games, something like that, would that change your, your analysis at all um, or your confidence in, in, in that analysis and what we saw, the reality of it or not? I mean, I haven't looked specifically at Marshall's numbers, but yeah. I think he played pretty well across the board. But the fewer games you have, the more you can get these spike game influences on things. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the reasons. So I get this question a lot because my model looks at full season numbers and, and someone's yeah. like, well, why wouldn't you look at per game numbers? And the problem is, is that you could get a Jalen Waddle season, right? Where you have four games of him not being hurt. And yeah. you, you could that, how do we know that Jalen Waddle would have kept that up? Of course we can say, you know, J- Jalen Waddle would have won the Heisman if he didn't get hurt, you know, and would have right, been Devontae right. Smith. We can say that, but we have to work with the information that we, that we do have. And at least within the context of what, you know, Marshall did obviously seven, if, if we were to compare it apples to apples with, with Jalen Waddle, um, you know, seven games is, is significantly more than the four that Waddle played. Um, and right. then if you look at the career trajectory of Terrace Marshall, it's not that unlike, if anything, I feel a little bit more confident in it, right? Because he did get better every season. Whereas Waddle, you know, we, we talked through it and we understand why it would be the case, but Waddle did have that sophomore season that was just not as strong. Um, and so there are some question marks there as to why that happened. Um, so that's, that's part of the reason why I just feel a little bit more confident in Marshall, not only because of the size either. I mean, that's just another, another plus to his profile. Now, would I like it if he had 13 games played this past year instead of instead of seven or if he had played the full 10 that LSU played? Of course. But, you know, I think with with a lot of this and with prospecting in general, you're going to run into situations where there's the sample sizes aren't necessarily, um, you know, super ideal. Um, and so you're, you're sort of using um, what I I don't want to call them excuses because I think that they're rational, right? Like rational excuses. Like, like I, 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 again, I, the Henry Ruggs thing is just such an easy example because I don't think that those excuses were rational at all. Whereas with Marshall, he's at least hitting a baseline from a statistical standpoint. Like 
in my model, he doesn't have a negative stat score, right? He still has a positive, he's still above average with his overall stat score. Whereas if he had a negative one, you know, first rounders that have negative stat scores in my model, uh, wide receiver, literally all of them have been busts, right? And so I wouldn't feel as confident in Marshall, but I do just given the context of everything. Yeah, yeah. For rugs, I think, um, do do dunk mix mixtapes get part are they, are they part of the rational model there? Because I think that yeah. may have uh, boosted him up some boards. And what what other piece of context that we talked about the receivers here? Um, and maybe I'll just go ahead and say since no one, I guess officially Devonte Smith is still on the board in our in our little thing here. So yes. I'll, I'll go ahead and say I'm going to take Devonte Smith okay. next. We we kind of already wore out talking about him, but I will say when we're looking at these guys, and I think these are for me like the five guys where. Um, you know, it sounds silly to say like, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them were the wide receiver one, but it really kind of fits in this in this yeah. sort of mold, and that's how we should think about it. Clearly, there is a right choice. So this, well, this is another thing I want to talk about here when we talk about like the BMI discussions, the other things, this and that. It's not like this is a real thing does not mean this guy has no chance of success. It does not mean if someone busts um, and you see different stats for, you know, these guys are all busts that had X thing. You're not a guaranteed bust. We're just like tilting the odds in one, one direction or another. Sure. So you can say this guy is a hundred percent the right choice and also say there is an extremely high chance that someone else will be better than him. And th- th- these two things can kind of go together. And I think that goes with a lot of your ordering for these type of guys. Um, and I'll say again, we, we had the early declare thing. So, Smith being the only one of this group who is not an early declare, but in the age category, uh, Waddle is about a full year older than than these other guys. So that's another piece of of yeah. context of uh, to, to put together there. So let's let's go through Smith. We'll take him off of here, and we'll we'll. Sh- I think this is again. This is probably one of the more interesting parts of the draft right here. I'll I'll throw it out to you for the next pick, which I guess would be number uh, six here. Yeah. And so, you know, you brought up that you saw that, that big five wide receivers, if you will, from a rookie draft standpoint, I agree. Cause this is where I sort of have a tier break pre-draft and it goes back to the slot discussion that we had earlier. I have Elijah Moore here. Um, so okay. I'm going to go with Elijah Moore. Um, it's really hard to find a better production profile than, than Elijah Moore's in this class. Uh, he had over 36% of uh, Mississippi's uh, receptions in each of his last two seasons. That was as a sophomore and a junior. So he's an early declare. He averaged almost 11 receptions per game, which is part of my model, but receptions per game in and of itself is pretty irrelevant. It's just that it's in, it's in conjunction with uh, yards per team attempt, which I think kind of makes sense because you're looking at sort of yards per team attempt is that is one of those metrics. It's like a market share slash efficiency one where players who are getting down the field and gaining chunk yards are going to benefit from that. But at the same time, you need to get enough volume to, to look good in yards per team attempt. But I think that in conjunction with receptions per game is why it works. But he had 11 well, receptions. It's kind of like per- yards per route run in a way. I mean, yeah, I, I use yeah. that I use that on, on guys we don't have data for going in the past. It's a proxy for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, he averaged almost 11 receptions per game last season. His yards per team uh, pass attempt rate amongst uh, the, quote, combine invites this year, even though they didn't have the combine, they still had that list. Uh, that was eighth best in the class. Uh, 54.5% touchdown share was fourth best. I mean, Basically, what I'm saying is he was insanely productive. Uh, the, the main problem goes back to what we talked about earlier is that is he going to be more than a slot guy at the next level? Um, you know, he's only 5'9", he's like 180 pounds, um, but he does play uh, sort of with that like chip on his shoulder when you, when you watch him. He's got like that, that Steve Smith type toughness uh, to his game. Um, and then if you look at comps, like one of the top comps for me, for him was Tyler Lockett. So there's like that, at least that like trajectory of, of an insanely productive wide receiver in college who has that smaller frame, 
who went from being more of a slot guy at the start of his career to then developing into something more. And I think that you can see that with Elijah Moore just because he was that productive and that good in college, whereas you might not feel as confident with someone else um, who played the slot so much. I mean, I, I think PFF was talking about how uh, Elijah Moore didn't even play. He had like 35 snaps against press this past year or something like yeah. that, like something insane. I mean, like that, that tells you something, right. That tells you that they, they didn't trust Elijah Moore to just beat his defender one-on-one at the line. And so, you know, there's some concern there, um, but the production profile is just crazy. And if he does end up getting decent capital, um, if he does go in the late first, I think he's going to be a pretty good fantasy asset. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm totally in agreement. Yeah, he would have been my next pick here. There's just too much to to like here. I mean, I had Lockett as being the comp too. I saw um, previously discussed Rich Rebar th- threw Brandon Cooks out there as a potential guy, as someone who played a decent amount in the slot and then went in and out. Um, another friend of the pod, Matthew Friedman, tried to like make some peripheral stat argument. Like, I, I don't care how many kick return yards he has, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice, right? It's nice. But, but um, Tyler versus Tyler Lockett having a lot more. But Tyler Lockett yeah. was not he – was, he was not an early declare. He had played like 50% more games, so I think that's part right. of it too. Uh, he ha- I mean, he has the speed, right? So he's got the speed. He's got the athleticism that, that we talked about there. To, he has he has the the devil's three cone, which I always like the six 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 on the three cone, and then I guess he played eighty percent of his snaps in the slot. I'm looking the last year, so maybe there's some hint there, and it's just difficult to figure out like who else you're going to throw into this. That's slot, what I'm saying. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, maybe you could like if you really were just anti short dudes, you could try to, but then you'd just be severely reaching at this point. To, to go with someone else, it seems like if if you or if you really if you really said you know what I really like um, uh, Rondale Moore or I really like uh, Kadarius Tony like those guys aren't 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 profiling as guys who are necessarily going to be better at the NFL level. If anything, the offensive weapon has been more of a boondoggle for for teams yep. than than the slot receiver has been. So it, it all makes all makes sense to me. Um, okay, so now with that being said. Yeah, so this, this, is, this is a tough one here. So so with that being said, I think I am going to go with Rondale Moore here, even though I'm not in love with it. Um, just a massive uh, freshman season, right? And the concern may be some of the injury issues that he had, which limited a lot of play after that. Um the height, according to Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl fame, he's he's now he's he's being put into the backfield in some places. I don't know if I buy that, but I guess at five seven is a little bit smaller than what some people would like. I mean, he's pretty thick. Uh, yeah. Hashtag thick. So that that hopefully will help him going forward to the next level. And again, if we're talking about players who are going to be very um, landing spot dependent, like he's probably going to go right up to the top of your list. So the thought would be at this point, I would still go with more here, even though you could the bottom could drop out a bit if he's not going to be used correctly. Um, and I, I put him as like thick Tavon Austin would be would be my comp for him versus what uh, like I said, some people at PFF have had for him putting him as a Steve Smith. I just need to see it before I'm going to do something like that. And the hope would be that even someone like Tavon Austin could have been more successful if they if they knew what to do with him. And that's kind of the hope here is when you say Tavon Austin, you don't want that to be like, ah, it's the worst thing ever, ever yeah. possible here. You're just saying as a guy who was probably overdrafted, um, again, one of these not early declares that we talked about before too, which I think there's probably something to that. Um, and the hope, the, the, the ability was be a, a more can maybe do a little bit better in that sort of versatile role. 
Yeah, I, I think that I have Rondell Moore here as well. Um, and I, you know, the, the interesting thing is that my model takes the best season for each of these production metrics, and they're all from his freshman season, which right, you, just yeah. never, you, just, you just never see that. I, I mean, look, pre-draft, there's just so many question marks around Rondell Moore's profile because he's been hurt the last couple of years, and we haven't seen him, uh, you know, give us a full season since that freshman year. So we just don't know all that much. I think from a comp standpoint, you know, the, the more of the ceiling comp that I have for him is like, because again, he's he's like Devonte Smith, where it's really difficult to find a a good comp for him because he's just so small, and we just haven't seen that combination with like the freshman year production and stuff. So I went more of like a what could we see him do at the NFL level as a ceiling, and I think the combination of T.Y. Hilton and Curtis Samuel makes sense for Rondell Moore, and and maybe honestly, it could be Curtis Samuel uh, in in 2019 and how they utilize him in Carolina. Maybe maybe that's what Rondell Moore ends up becoming, uh, where he can and will line up in the backfield sometimes, but they use him in more of that vertical threat role uh, that season before Joe Brady came to town this past year, and they sort of uh, you know went back to to what we thought Curtis Samuel would do at the NFL level. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that Moore at least has that kind of upside and potential because of what we saw uh, with his age adjusted production and, w- and when he was a freshman. Um, but you run, I just think he's a highly volatile prospect. You run the risk that yes, he's a, a Tavon Austin type where he's more gadgety and, and teams don't really know how to utilize him. Um, and I think at the very, you know, at the very least he's probably going to play some sort of slot role to start, but I have more confidence in Elijah Moore moving to the outside right now than I do Rondell Moore. Yeah, I mean another name that you could throw out there, but the 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 height in particular doesn't work so well, and uh, the weight isn't great here. Also, is but just from a role perspective, I mean maybe you want to look at a more like like a Tavon Austin type that was kind of successful as maybe someone like a Percy Harvin. Again, it's like a successful yeah. type of guy that you're going to yeah. use in, in in that role. But again, the body type doesn't really work, so they they may not show up together in in some comp um, in, in comps. But that's another person at least role wise that could fit in there. All right, who, who, who we got next? I'm going to go with Tylen Wallace next. Um, okay. And this is another tier break for me. So after Rondell, after the Moors, they're kind of in their own tier for me. And then you get into this giant tier four. Uh, but, it, you know, you have Tylen Wallace. Um, in my model, 11 wide receivers were able to have a 3.0 yards per, per team pass attempt max season or better. Um, Tylen Wallace was one of those players. And if you if you filter those guys out, by a breakout age that was under 20. And that's with a 20% dominator. Um, he's in good company. Cause it's Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore. Uh, you have Tutu Atwell who, I mean, if, if Tutu were to be, you know, uh, not 155 pounds, maybe people would, would care about him a little bit more aside from, from Mel Kuyper, who seems to love him. Um, and then Isaiah McCoy, who, who I think is actually a decent sleeper just in general, but you know, you look at McCoy, he came from Kent state. So he's a smaller school guy. He's not going to give that much love. And then Tutu, has, uh, you know, the really small size. So it's really Rashad Bateman and Elijah Moore, um, you know, that are, that are matched with those two filters with, with Tylen Wallace, which is good to see his production is not really the issue is the bottom line. Uh, you know, he, he saw a lot of production at Oklahoma state to me. It's what I talked about earlier. I referenced earlier where, um, he plays with a lot of like explosiveness to his game. Uh, but then he didn't test well, which is somewhat of a concern. You know, how is this going to translate to the next level? He doesn't have ideal size necessarily, um, and he's not an early declare either. So that's that's another um, you know semi issue at least analytically with him. So I think he's solid. I think he should be fine, uh, but I just don't think that he's he's you know in that that upper. Some people have had him in that sort of upper tier, like in that like first round of uh, or, or mid first round of rookie rookie drafts. But I, I don't necessarily see it. I I think uh, 
uh, or sorry, late first round. I, I think he's more of an early second round pick. Yeah, I mean, the so the, the question here is, and again, I, I haven't, I haven't, this one I have not ground up the film on to really, to really see. Uh, although I did think I watched a, I probably did watch a Just Bombs uh, highlight reel of Tylon Wallace at, at one point in time. But the the word on the street is that this ACL injury really affected his game. Maybe right. that has something to do with the testing. And if you're into um, genetics on here, his twin brother had three ACL tears, if you believe that. So um, that's, Man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if uh, hereditary.com or one of these things is not looking good on the on the ACL tear, tear issue there. Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. So uh, I think I would also go with Wallace here because it has that upside, but we're starting to get into the thing of like what he, he is we're, we're getting into like potential flame out territory I think, yeah, for some of these sure. guys at, at the NFL level. And when it comes to the early declare thing, um, I have not tested this. So this is just more my opinion than anything. I think as you get further down into the late second, third round, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It matters much. less. Yeah. It, definitely. It, yeah. It's really more of a, of a first round type type of issue there. And if anything, sometimes, you know, the guys who are early declaring and then coming out late is like, a little bit problematic. It's like, why are you, why are you doing that? If you're going to be like a third round pick or something <laughs> yeah, like, or a fourth right. round pick or whatever it is, right. why are you coming out, out early? There may be some, some red flags somewhere else that's holding them down. So, um, yeah. So I, I like Wallace there. Uh, let me see. So next, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll go with Kadarius Tony just because I'm just going to go with draft capital. I'm going to try to say like, <laughs> I'm going to try to, I mean, I, I, I'm like, I like, I like hate offensive weapons. I'm like Mr. Anti-offensive weapon. I was kind of anti Curtis Samuel and Paris Campbell when they, when they were coming yeah. out to some people, but I don't know. Like, I think he is probably going to be drafted in the late first, second round. I mean, the late, well, the, the late first round, early second round, probably. So if that ends up being the case, again, I'm going to hope that you can use him. It's just like I'm probably le- I'm just like way, way less confident the way that I watched him playing with his measures, even versus someone like Rondale Moore. It's even more of a question mark for me. So again, this is almost entirely a draft position dart throw in opposition to. Uh, some of the other names. Now, I'll, I'll let you pick the next name. Maybe we can talk about why in opposition to, to who you may have chosen. But at this point, I just can't pass that up versus guys who were legitimately talking about being like third round wide receivers. 
Yeah, I, I think it's fair. I have one guy that I would squeeze in between them. The one thing I want to add with Kadarius Tony. So again, I, I have a stat score that my model produces based on uh, the production metrics and some other stuff. And uh, I'll just read you the first round wide receivers since 2006 that have had a negative stat score. Okay, right. And Kadarius Tony fits that bill. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, but Kadarius Tony is not an early declare either. So there's just this, an insane amount of red flags. Like if there's, let's be honest, if, if there's one first round wide receiver that has bust written all over him, it's definitely Kadarius Tony. Like oh, it, 100%. it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely Kadarius Tony. So it's Brashad Perriman, Philip Dorsett, Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson, Darius Hayward Bay, Ted Ginn, Craig Davis, Anthony Gonzalez, and Henry Ruggs. Those are the, the negative stat scores that have been drafted in the first round since 2006. So Tony is not in good company. Uh, you know, if, if he goes in the first, I'm sure uh, people are going to look at him from a, from an ADP standpoint, that ADP is probably going to rise a little bit. Um, right now, I think it's fair enough because of the fact that, um, you know, his production profile is lacking so much, but you know, the, the fantasy football world uh, generally is analytically and numbers driven. So uh, we see that reflected in ADP more than what we would see in like a non, you know, normal NFL draft type world. Um, but yeah, so that, that to me, I mean, there's just a lot of, of, uh, bad marks on Kadarius Tony's profile, which is why I'm just not super into him, but I do have him right. You know, I have Tylen Wallace and then this player I'm about to say, and then Kadarius Tony. So it's not, I'm not far off or anything. Okay. All right. Uh, um, who's, who's your guy? The guy I have here is Deami Brown, uh, out of North Carolina. So th- this is another one of those projection type deals where, uh, he was just like strictly a vertical threat with North Carolina. I think he showed some nuance with his route running, but it was a lot of of a uh, lot of uh, just you know going deep and 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 having that vertical element to his game. Uh, you know, PFF charted him at second in deep ball yards, seventh in average depth of target this past year. Uh, he had a yards per per team attempt rate of three point oh eight. Again, I mentioned this earlier. Yards per team pass attempt is a, a pretty predictive production metric, but it will skew towards guys who were big play threats, which is exactly what Deami Brown was. Um, but the thing with, I mean, he had 20 plus percept, uh, yards per reception in each of his last two seasons. So the thing with him is he's at least someone that you can latch onto and say, I know the kind of role that he can play at the NFL level right away. Right. So he can, he's at least going to be able to slot in and, and be, you know, that, that field stretcher for a team. But then what if he grows into something more, which is, that's why I think his like max, uh, comp or a guy that you could look at is, is someone like Will Fuller, right? Someone who built on that that uh, that route tree a little bit more. Um, it's a go-to, obviously, for anyone who's a, generally a deep threat. Um, but his production, Deami Brown's production profile is really not that bad. He's an early declare as well. Um, has decent age adjusted adjusted production. Um, so that's why I have Deami ahead of uh, Kadarius Tony. But you run into the issue if Deami Brown goes later than expected. Like let's say that he's like a mid third round pick it might be a little bit difficult post-draft to rank him ahead of a guy who went in the first round. Yeah. Now, so the thing with, with, with Deami Brown for me and the reason that I'm not putting him above Tony is I think that his role, as you mentioned, it really was this like stay on one side of the field, run straight down the field. Um, He was able to be very successful doing that. Uh, I don't know the level of nuance, quite honestly. Nuance is one of my favorite uh, uh, film film uh, watcher route running uh, terminology. But so here's, I know you don't put measurables in there, but there are certain circumstances. I think generally they're overvalued, right? But there are mm-hmm. certain circumstances where I do like to look at them. So if you're going to say here, he was basically running like a DK Metcalf, let's say, type of, of route tree, and then yeah. you mentioned Will Will Fuller as being another guy 
who it could be somewhat similar to that. I do think when you look at those guys and you're trying to figure out whether or not this purely I'm going to beat you downfield type of thing is going to translate to the NFL. Uh, you know, DK, obviously he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's enormous, but he's also, you know, he ran a 4-3-3, right. Fuller right. ran a 4-3-2, and then Brown, he ran four, a 4-4-6. Four, four, six. Six, yeah, yeah. So not quite there. I mean, he, did, he had a great broad jump, great vertical jump. He seems like an explosive guy, good three cone, all of that sort of stuff. But does the long speed, does that affect your evaluation at all, even if it's not part of your official model? Yeah, it's something. I, I mean, I, I looked at it with him too. I mean, I, it would have been really bad if it was like in the four fives. I would have yeah. been more concerned. You know, four four six is still strong. It's still a, a good, you know, a, a strong 40. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of the concern. That's why it's less of a true comp to a Will Fuller and more of a, that's what he could become. And that's also where we're kind of at already with this wide receiver draft class, right? Like it, it looks strong at the start, but then you realize there's a lot of undersized slot guys and a lot of those guys are interchangeable. So I'm sort of looking at a Deami Brown as someone who's not that, and that elevates him a little bit within the class. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. If you're going to have, I guess a, a missing element, I think fading people who are fixated on athleticism is, is probably like a good default to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I, I, so I can, I I can get with that. All right. So let's let's see, we got 10 guys down here. Maybe we'll get a couple more in and then we'll figure out. So I'm trying to figure out who I want my last guy to give to be here. Um, I think I'm going to go with one of these slot guys, even though I'm not necessarily in love with them. But I'm going to go with. All right, so I'm I'm going to go with Dwayne Eskridge, even though he's not maybe going to be drafted quite quite as high there. And the reason being, again, he's not an early declare yet. He he has you know he he's not exactly the youngest guy here. He has pretty incredible. Uh, metrics for for what he's been able to do. So he's been a good prospect from a metrics perspective. He tested pretty well too. So it's almost like you're trying to get a discount of one of the the moors from above. I mean, he's really old, so that's the problem with him. He's mm-hmm. like 24 years old now. But he ran a 4.38. He had the explosiveness, the three cone, everything else looked looked pretty good there. He had a 31% target share in his in his last year, and he had kind of a shortened season before that. So I think that explains maybe staying in a, a bit there. And he just has kind of all the numbers there. Now it's not a it's not a great player. He kind of late breakout, all those sorts of things. But I'm just looking at as a guy where, again, if he falls into the right place, maybe he can fill that slot role somewhere. And I'm just going to go with him here versus going with one of these upside lower floor type of guys at this position. Yeah, I understand it. I, I get the allure with him. He's super athletic, um, which people are probably going to fall in love with. Uh, my only concern is that, you know, he didn't do much from a production standpoint until he came back for that, that super senior season, uh, you know, this past year where um, he, he had eight touchdowns when he had, he had seven combined throughout the first four, uh, you know, at Western Michigan. Um, I get it though. Uh, you know, again, we're in a spot in this, in this draft where, uh, you know, there's just question marks all over the place for these guys. And he's someone that if you do look at max season uh, numbers, he's someone that pops because his max season was really strong within the context of, uh, you know, the team that he played for. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's it's like, he's, there's not, it's not, it's not great on here. Maybe I'm looking at the little bit too much of the, 
uh, of the workout metrics, so that could be a problem there. But I think you can go a lot of different directions here. All right, so why don't you close us out here, and then maybe if you if you want to throw in one more, if there's a guy that you're you're in love with as a later round guy, maybe we could throw out one more after that. Not necessarily the next person in your order, though. Yeah, so I'll go with Amon Ross St. Brown with the uh, with the next one. the The issue I have with him is I don't think there's a ceiling. I, I, I just I don't necessarily see a, a ceiling for him because if you look at his uh, his overall trajectory in college, uh, you know, freshman he had a decent season. He had 60, 60 catches for seven hundred fifty yards. Then he had seventy seven catches for a thousand forty two yards, um, and, and that gave him a pretty good breakout age as well. Um, but then you look at what he saw, what, what he did this past season. Um, and, it, and he really didn't see a major jump when Michael Pittman left that program. Um, and, and that to me, you know, signals that maybe he's not a true alpha. Um, you know, everything pretty much stayed the same for, you know, year over year. Um, and the other thing too, <clears throat> you know, we talk about these guys <clears throat> moving to the slot. He actually did the opposite where he was playing more in the slot when Michael Pittman was there. Um, and then this past season, he played less in the slot. Uh, he only played 28% of his snaps from the slot this, this past year, whereas um, in, in 2019, it was 89%. Um, and so he hadn't really seen this like really strong trajectory, uh, positive trajectory uh, with his production. And he was at, he's actually throughout his every year throughout college, um, he was never his leading receiver on his team ever. Um, and so that's somewhat of a red flag. That's why I think he's more of a, of a, you know, a, a B or a two on, on, on a, on an NFL team. Um, but I do think that, that there is some signal there with what he did as a freshman, uh, you know, the strong breakout age, he's an early declare as well, even though I, I, I would highly, highly doubt that he goes in the first round. Um, but he was also someone, you know, last year going into this year, people were pretty high on him. Um, and so maybe there's something there. I mean, we've seen that with, with USC receivers in the past, remember with Juju, where he, he saw a decline uh, during his junior season after an incredible sophomore season and having a great breakout age. So maybe there's more there to his profile um, than, than what I, you know, just, just talked through. Cause I basically talked about all the, the red flags to his profile. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think he's solid, but he's unlikely to be elite. Yeah, I, I, I can dig that. And then, but then, you know, some guys that'll come up here. I mean, maybe it's leaning a little too heavily on the USC thing. But looking back to a guy, if he can, if he can be a second round type of guy, you know, looking back to someone like maybe Robert Woods or something like that. Sometimes you don't have to be like elite, yeah, to fall into the right situation and be a very very strong producer and a very very strong fantasy asset. So I can, he's probably the guy that was that could fall into that category. And I'm yeah, I'm all for that there. And then. I'm just going to pick out one later later guy that I seem to like. So, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of these things here, but when I did an analysis on Amir Smith-Marset, um, I just really liked what he had done, how he was able to step up in his in his last year. He's young for, for having been a senior, and he kind of played on like an awful offense where the, the passing grade was one of the worst that we've seen there. So that would be just the hope that a, a – a slower developing guy who was younger the whole time, despite the fact that he was there for all four years with really awful quarterback play and the fact that he was elite when it comes to the return game. So you're hoping one of these guys, if they're drafted in the third, fourth, maybe even fifth round, if they can stick with the return game, then they can be active on game day and then maybe they can get a chance to do it on the field. And some some people I've seen who are more of the film watching type seem to be into him. So maybe he can even come up on on some draft 
boards as a potential guy who's just like taller and kind of just needs to develop, I would say, in, in his game. So I think, again, that, that, that special teams aspect, though, I think is overlooked sometimes. Not only does it show you that they have, you know, they're skilled, him, him being the, I think he had the best return average on any of his kick returns, and that's like an element of the game that doesn't necessarily show up. Um, that's an additional element, but it helps you stick on rosters. It helps you be active on game day. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll throw out two guys um, because I think that a lot of people drafting this year are going to be looking for larger wide receivers um, and, you know, guys, because there's just so many small guys. Um, One guy is Nico Collins uh, out out of Michigan. He's got the size. He's 6'4". He's like 220. Production profile isn't great. Uh, Early declare though. Um, So I think his 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 decent breakout age, it's under 20. If you're looking at 20% dominator. Um, so I think Collins is is worth a look. And then last round dart throw. This is just a complete dart throw because, you know, one of the things too, is I found that uh, uh, conference or being a power, being a power five uh, player as a wide receiver is more important than at running back. Running back doesn't seem to matter nearly as much, or at least what I've tested, but wide receiver does. Uh, this guy is not that, but he's fun. Uh, it's Michael Strawn spelled Strachan uh, out of, out of college of Charleston. Uh, but he's, Six foot five, he weighs 225 pounds. Uh, I remember when I first came uh, came about him in, in my, you know, I plugged him into my model and I was DMing with our buddy, Rich Rebar. Um, and, and he was like, <laughs> Rich was like, dude, you got to watch his tape. And so I go on YouTube and I'm looking at, it sincerely looks like uh, he is this behemoth of a man playing in high school because it's, it's basically like high school footage, you know, like, like all, all the camera angles are from the end zone and stuff. Um, but his production profile naturally is insane. Uh, he has insane athleticism at his size too. So what you're really banking on with someone like that is yes, you know, he, he went to this really, really tiny school and, and likely, you know, his, his hit rate at the NFL level is not going to be fun. But uh, you know, if, if, if you want to throw out a true, true dart throw, that's strictly based on size and speed. I think Michael, Mike Strawn uh, would be the guy to look at. Yeah, I would have had no clue even how to pronounce that. So I'm glad that I, I looked it were... up. I, I've looked it up in the past because I, I'm so, I'm very I try my best to not because my last name is Zacharyson and everyone always says it you know wrong and different. So I I feel a connection to people with tough to pronounce last names. Um, yeah. And so I, I did that with with Michael Stride. It is Strawn. It's not Strachan, which it sort of looks like. No, no, I'm not sure this guy's even in our database now that I'm probably not some of this, probably from not. this stuff here. But I like, okay, I'm looking here. 6'5", 226 pounds, 34 and a quarter arms, 10 inch hands. Is this like one of these situations where it's like the, 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 the cousin who's like five years older than everyone else playing, yeah. playing out there and just like stomping people the entire like, time? It's like, it's like Danny Almonte with the, uh, the Little League <laughs> World Series all over again. Yeah. I mean, it, he, he, he was, he was a man amongst boys, uh, at the College of Charleston. Uh, but I, I at least every, you know, if anyone ever asked that question of, you know, who are some dart throw wide receivers, I throw his name out there because if Michael Strawn hits, I will look like a genius. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So if you're, if you happen to be in an eight round rookie draft and you need someone <laughs> at the very end, this is your, JJ Nico, is your guy. Nico Collins was more reasonable. Nico Collins is a reasonable prospect. Michael Strawn is a, are you in a very deep league? Go ahead. Why don't you just throw him in? Just to go back to Nico Collins. I think he's another guy where, you know, maybe some team falls in love with them is another, as another thing here as an early declare as a guy where maybe everyone's like, you know, Harbaugh has no clue what he's doing up in Michigan. And, and yeah. some of these guys will, will end up going forward. So, so I definitely like that. All right, my man, we went through it all. 
All, all the picks, uh, I think we agreed for the most part on here. Now, everyone, you sure you're following JJ out there at Late Round Quarterback, the Late Round Podcast. Um, taking guests now, I've, I've heard recently. So take, taking guests on the Late Round <laughs> Podcast. Uh, one of the best listens out there. Uh, anything else you want to plug here coming up into draft season? Uh, no, I mean, the Late Round Podcast. And then, uh, you know, we, we'll be doing a, uh, a little live stream draft day over on the FanDuel YouTube channel um, where I will be, uh, you know, live uh, inputting projections and such when these skilled players are, are chosen. So that, that should be fun. Uh, we did it last year. Uh, we do it for day one and day two. Um, so if you want instant projections that are probably going to be incredibly inaccurate, definitely uh, watch that. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to, to get to get a little reaction side on yeah. on what's going on here. Especially fun from a fantasy football perspective, I feel like because yeah. some of these guys, you're just kind of waiting around a lot of a lot, a lot of the time yeah. that's going out here. So you can yeah. get very excited, especially in day two and day three when these guys start going as as no one cares about where the you know satellite running back is going yeah. in in the third or fourth round. That can always be great. Anyway, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll continue with more draft coverage in the last couple of, in the next couple of weeks. And thanks JJ for joining me. Thank you.